Are you bothered by people who show up to shul week in, week out, and never bother joining the shul? Welcome to the Transformative Daf. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 26, Daf Chavav of Tractate Megillah. And today we learn how to embrace even those who weren't paid their way as members of the shul. Welcome to the Transformative Daf. Moshe was a faithful leader of the children of Israel. He'd miraculously led them out of slavery in Egypt. He'd crossed them over the Red Sea on dry land. He'd brought the Torah to them. He'd led them through the wilderness, ensuring that every need was taken care of. But that was insufficient proof of his divine mission for his wicked cousin Korach. Gathering 250 followers, Korach led a rebellion against Moshe, focusing on leadership issues generally and the high priesthood specifically. You've appointed your own brothers, the Kohen Gadol, Karach challenged Moshe. Clearly, you've decided to keep the highest honors with your immediate family. Aren't we all holy? Moshe responds with a test to prove who God had ordained to be the Kohen Gadol. Tomorrow, you will all appear with pans containing incense. Whosoever incense Hashem will accept, he is the one who's been chosen. The next day, they all arrive with their pans. Defiantly, they don't wait until entering the tabernacle. They place their incense inside their pans and stand there sneering at Moshe. Moshe turns his eyes heavenward and he asks Hashem to perform a miracle, an historic moment that will demonstrate undeniably that Moshe and Aaron have indeed been chosen by God. Suddenly, the earth opens up and swallows Korach and his closest adherents as the terrified nation looks on. But that's not all. A heavenly fire then swallows the 250 followers of Karach who had offered the foreign incense. Aaron's son Elaza then gathers the 250 pans and hammers them out. He fashions the sheet of metal into a covering for the holy altar, for the pans had been designated for a holy assignment and now couldn't be used for a mundane purpose. Says the Mishnah, If the townsfolk sold the town square, they may use the funds to purchase a synagogue. If they sold the synagogue, they may use the funds to purchase an ark. If they sold the ark, they may use the funds to purchase Torah covers. If they sold the Torah covers, they may purchase holy books of scripture. If they sold the holy books, they may purchase a Torah scroll. If, however, they sold a Torah, they may not use the funds to purchase holy books. Holy books, they may not purchase Torah covers. Torah covers, they may not purchase an ark. Ark, they may not purchase a synagogue. And synagogue, they may not purchase a town square. And the same is true of the leftover funds. Says Rashi, We ascend in holiness and do not descend. Therefore, the proceeds of the sale of a holy item must be used to purchase a holier item. The Tosefta derives the principle of ascending in holiness from, and Moshe erected the tabernacle. But Salel made it, and Moshe, who was greater than him, erected it. And the principle of not descending is derived from the firepans of those who sinned at the cost of their lives. Let them be made into hammered sheets as plating for the altar, for they have been used for offering to Hashem and been sanctified. Once they were sanctified, they are sanctified. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmeni quotes Rabbi Yonason. When is it permissible to sell a synagogue and use the funds to purchase an ark? Only when we are dealing with a synagogue in a village. Concerning a city synagogue, however, since people come from far and wide to pray there, it may not be sold because it belongs to the public. Let's analyze this, Kamara. There's a classic story told of the fellow who shows up to Shulwan Rosh Hashanah. He's greeted at the entrance and asked for his ticket. I don't have a ticket, the man responds. Well, I'm sorry then, I can't admit you. We only allow members, members to pray here, he's told. 
Please, sir, the visitor responds. My brother is a member and I have an important message to convey to him from our mother. The greeter looks at the visitor and acquiesces reluctantly. Finally, says, you have five minutes to go and pass the message on to your brother. But I'm warning you, don't let me catch you davening. While the anecdote might sound a little over the top, many shuls struggle with their policy toward non-members. Should they allow non-members to utilize their services? Some people have no problem showing up every Shabbos or even every day without ever paying a penny toward the upkeep of the shul. How do they think the lights stay on? Where do they think the mortgage payments come from? These are questions that don't seem to bother them. But it does bother many of the members of the shul. Ask anyone who's served on a shul board, and they'll t attest to the fact that this is one of those perennial board issues. What do we do about non-members who show up to services? Why should we let them get away with taking advantage of our shul without paying anything? And what can we do if they refuse to join? Rabbi Shmuel Banachmeni offers a powerful answer to this conundrum. Who owns a city synagogue? Not the board, not the members, everyone. It's a public institution. Consequently, it needs to be open and available to all, whether or not they officially own it on paper or not. If the members don't have the power to sell the building, they probably shouldn't be dictating who davens there either. Rabbi Herb Goldstein, founder of the Institutional Synagogue in 1917 in Harlem, understood this well. By the end of the first year, he had over a thousand members. What was his secret? Rabbi Goldstein felt that the synagogue should not cater to a select wealthy elite. The synagogue is for everybody. And so he sent the youth out going door to door asking people to join the IS, some paying as little as a dollar a year. The truth is, he would have welcomed them without paying anything at all. But he didn't want them to feel bad and not end up attending because they couldn't afford to be members. And so he asked them to pay whatever he, they could, even a token amount, if that's all they could or would pay. So why pay synagogue dues if it's open to all anyway? Why be the shlamazel who pays full membership while everyone else gets a free ride? What's the point of being a shul member if you have no more rights or benefits than the non-member sitting next to you each morning at Minyan? The answer is that there's more to shul membership than paying for a place to daven. Purchasing a membership is like buying spiritual shares in the synagogue. You become a part owner and reap all the rewards of the success of the institution. Becoming a member means buying into the mission of the shul, which is to serve the entire community, as well as all those who come from far and wide. Your membership entitles you to a share in every merit accrued by the organization. Every tefillah, every word of Torah, every act of chesed performed in the name of the congregation. The board of directors of the shul are stewards of this public mitzvah institution. Think about any other charity or non-profit board you sit on. You don't ask why you dedicate your time, effort, and financial investment to the organization when other people just sit back and watch. You take pride in knowing that you are steering an incredible ship, a vehicle for divine blessing. And that should be our attitude towards shul volunteerism. It doesn't matter whether or not anyone else steps up. The more you are doing, the greater your spiritual merit. Shuls are for everyone. Open your doors and open your hearts. When you invite kids, whose parents won't join the shul, to be part of the shul's youth program, you become their spiritual parents. When you invite people into Daven, even when they haven't paid for a seat, you maximize Hashem's blessing, which should be more than sufficient motivation. 
May you partner with Hashem in tending to the spiritual needs of all His children, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Duff Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Duff Yomi global movement, there's something in the Transformative Duff for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the duff with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvatara. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe. To achieving a life of simcha and purpose, transform your life today. The Transformative Daf is published by Mosaica Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you, the transformative dance.